Well, I appreciate all the kiddos helping us out today. That was, that was fun, different, and I appreciate it. I did a great job. If you want to look with me back to James chapter 2, since uh, this is Reformation Week, I changed up a little bit again. Chapter 2 is missing from my Bible. Wow. There it is. Hanging out in the back. Yeah, I just like, in, in honor of Martin Luther, I cut it out. I gotta find it. Alright. I think that's a true story. He really took a pen knife and cut James out of the Bible. Because he didn't care for it, but I, I might talk about that in a minute. Uh, James chapter 2, verses 14 through the end of the chapter. I didn't do that, but this thing, the binding is falling apart. <laughs> and that's the page that was missing, but I found it. All right, James chapter 2, verses 14 through the end. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, well, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac, his son, on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. God, please bless the reading of your word and the teaching of it. And I pray that you edify the church and build us up and help us to have understanding today in what is said in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is, um, as I sort of mentioned already, a very controversial section of the book of James. Probably the most controversial section. People will go to this chapter and this section to try to prove that people can be justified by what they do. See here, James says, you're not justified by faith alone. This is also the section where James and Paul the apostle, people want to put them at odds. James says, as I just mentioned, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Paul in Romans 3 says, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. You're familiar with um, Ephesians 2, by grace you are saved through faith. And he goes on to say, not of works. Titus chapter 3, 
Um, no one is saved by works of their own righteousness, but by the mercy of God, he has saved us who believe. So you can see that people will tend to think, well, Paul and James seem to be at odds. But as often as the case, we need to go no further than the text itself to discover the truth and to look at the Bible as a whole. We rarely have to go beyond a close examination of the text within its context to discover its meaning. And I believe that's the case here. I did mention uh, in passing about Luther. This book really gave him a lot of problems. Martin Luther, the one we credit for uh, at least the real beginning of the Protestant Reformation when he not nailed his theses to the church door in Wittenberg and he was protesting against the church's teaching about works and how people are justified and he had discovered in Romans 1 that the just shall live by faith and he was really coming to understand that maybe he was in his own cage stage but he couldn't stand the book of James because he saw this he saw this um sort of not dilemma but just this um pressure that these two seem to be at odds but they really aren't the context of James the book if you remember anything or know much about the book of James James wrote to encourage believers in their trials and tests from God chapter 1 says hey you'll fall under many many trials or tests but these will strengthen your faith these believers, if you remember, are the ones who are being persecuted for believing. The church has just been scattered in Acts chapter 7. We read about how uh, 6 and 7 where God scattered the church because of persecution. And they were being tested and tried to keep their faith silent and to hide away. They're being persecuted. They had to leave their homes. They're on the run. This is not a book written about how to become a believer how to be justified so it's not right to go to james and say well look here james says in order to be justified you got to do works that's not the point of james he's not writing to people on how to become a follower of christ he is writing to followers of christ who already believe but they're under great temptation to turn back and to run away they're in great temptation to hide away they needed a reason to remain faithful and not become an unfaithful follower. And so his argument here for the, is for the life of the believer. What a believer is to look like. What Christianity does. It causes you to meet needs. Christianity is not in word only, but in deed and truth and acts. So the reality is our, reform, our reformer forefathers did believe in Christianity that works itself out in a faith that manifests itself. And that's what James is about. And so James sets his argument in the framework, faith by itself does not have works. I mean, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. In other words, you can't be a follower of Christ and it not affect you. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect and suddenly you're going to start walking the line of the law and never fail again. 
But it also means you can't be transformed, brought from death to life, and nothing in your life be different. There's got to be something in your life that manifests itself, and I think that's James' point. Hey, you know what? Because you believe in Christ, because he's redeemed you, you're going to get the promises that Jesus gave you. You're going to be persecuted because you can't keep this silent. It's going to manifest itself and come out. And that's the context. You can't make this something else. This is not an argument about how God brings people to faith. This is not God has done his part. Now you do your part. This is simply about genuine faith in Christ that is accompanied by works. Last week I talked a lot from James about providence and sovereignty. But within God's sovereignty, he has ordained that the Christian faith manifests itself in the works that we do. So someone, James says, says, I have faith and you have works. And James says, no, I'll show you my faith by my works. This is not some get some of it, some others get others of it. This is the work of God in the life of the believer works itself out in the way the believer lives. It works itself out in your life. That's why we are commanded in other places and commanded to work our salvation out in fear and trembling. To make our calling and election sure. We talked about this on Wednesday nights a great deal when we went through our chapter on gospel assurance. One of the great assurances that God gives us over a time is by causing us to live out the gospel. Again, not perfectly. We're not living it out to earn favor and love from God. We don't put in 5% of our time so he'll bless us back with 20% more money this week. We do what we do because of what's in us. I mean, it's almost if, like we testified uh, when we were together on Wednesday night, we find ourselves doing things we didn't want to do before. We find ourselves having desires for things we didn't have before. We find the desires we had before waning for the things of the world. It's a slow process, right? Sometimes we wish it was faster. But God is working these things out for us. Our confession, I encourage you to read those chapters in our confession that explain so well. Sometimes as a believer, you go through times of darkness. You go through times where you're not doing the works. You go through times where the light of Christ is dim and you're wondering, God, do I believe, to, do I believe in this faith? Do I believe in Jesus? But God, because you're his child, will not allow you to go so far away as to drift away into nothingness. He will always bring you back. He will re-lighten uh, as Jalen read about, he will give you a fresh light on the face of Jesus and his works, and you will understand what Christianity is about, and God will work that out in your life. So if you don't see what you want to see in your life, what you're hoping to see, keep going back to Christ. Keep trusting in Christ. Keep looking at what he's done. Keep trusting in the works that he has given on your behalf. And in some ways, I will agree with James in this way. You can't get saved apart from works. Yes, yeah, it's just not your works. It's the works of Jesus. He moves on to illustrate his point. Okay, you believe, that's great. You have faith, okay. Well, the demons do too. In fact, it causes them to shudder. But what's the difference in your faith and the kind of belief that demons have? 
Well, in some ways, James said, would say they don't feed the needy, they don't clothe the naked, they don't feed the hungry. But even if they did, because the Bible says in one place that demons or the devil masquerades himself as an angel of light. Maybe he does good things, but here is the point for sure. They don't believe in Christ as the savior of their sin. They don't believe in Christ as the one who died in their place. They believe that he's real and they know what he's coming for. But unlike us, they don't believe that Christ took our place and that we're justified because of him. So that's what James, I believe, is trying to point out. And it's a warning at the same time. Too many people do say they have a faith and don't have any works. Now, too many times as preachers and as the church, we have a tendency to tell people, well, if you're not doing the same things I'm doing, then you're probably not okay. Or we at least make it seem that way. Hey, here's a list of some stuff. If this isn't true in your life, you're probably not a believer. That's not what I'm saying when I say too many people have faith and no works. What I am saying is the faith that God gives us in Christ does work itself out in your life. And if it's not, then seek God for that. I can't fix that. I can't make you do things. I can't make you want to obey Christ. I can't make you want to follow him. I can't make you want to turn from your sin, put to death the, the, the wicked parts of your body and all the things that the Bible tells us to do. But God will help you with that. And I'm not going to name what it is because whatever it is is probably different for every one of us. I don't want you to look like me. The goal is not to follow me. The goal is to follow Christ. I need to be more like Christ. So don't be like me. Be like Christ. And then he goes on to point out some examples. Hey, Abraham. Now he says, Abraham was justified by works. But he clarifies by the phrase, when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar. Now if you remember... This is all the way back to Genesis chapter 22 where Isaac was offered or Abraham was willing to offer Isaac but do you remember God sent a ram and Abraham didn't have to offer Isaac. It's a beautiful picture of God rescuing all of us sending a sacrifice in our place instead of us having to die an offering was made. But that's chapter 22. You have to go back to chapter 15 to find out that Abraham was already declared righteous by faith. So when James says Abraham was justified by works, it means the faith he already had was justified by. He, he, it's proven by the works that he was willing to obey God in, a, in an incredible way that I'm not sure any of us are willing to. I'm, I'm not sure I'm willing to obey in that kind of way. And I'm not sure that God ever asked anybody else since Abraham to do this kind of thing. It's, it's for the purpose of the people of God to be able to look and see. Seven chapters after Abraham was declared righteous by faith, he, he presents Isaac to God on an altar. So basically James concludes, not by faith alone, because faith is never alone. He's not arguing for the same thing that Paul will argue for later. James is not dealing with Judaizers who are trying to trick people into believing a faith plus works. 
Again, these believers had just left Judaism altogether, forsaking all that they had ever known to follow Christ. But there was a temptation to quit or hide their faith. And James says, no, even though it's difficult and dangerous, faith does what it does. It causes you to act. And Jesus said as much. The world hated you. It'll hate me. It'll hate you too. And Abraham, you remember, had no heir. In his old age, God gave him a son according to the promise that his seed would stretch as far as the stars in the sky. And so God gave him Isaac, but then confronted him with this great test of faith. And we read in Hebrews chapter 11 that he was counted among the faithful. So James' point simply is faith must be accompanied by works. You cannot make this passage about how God counts people as righteous when that's not what it's about. This is about how God gives life to dead men and that life includes works. Ephesians 2 verse 10 says, We are the workmanship of God created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Just as God ordained and prepared that we would be saved before the foundation of the world, he also ordained and prepared works that we'd walk in before the foundation of the world. So it will happen. And that's what I want to encourage you in. It will happen. You say, well, that hasn't happened for me yet. Well, you keep trusting in Christ. You put your faith in Christ. Keep surrendering to Christ. He will work out your salvation. It will be manifested in your life. He uses Rahab, the prostitute, again, a great example of somebody who already believed. God didn't commend her faith because she did what she did. He commended her works because she believed enough to do what she did. And so James concludes, just, like the body, just as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. So I show you my faith by my works. That's not a contradictory statement to anything about justification. I mean, G, uh, John the Baptist, when he was preaching to all those before Christ died even, repent and be baptized, he said, and then go do works worthy of that repentance. He didn't say, go do some works and then come back here and we'll baptize you and hopefully you'll get right with God. It's always the other way around. We so want to believe that we can do something to please God enough for him to save us, and we can't. But here's the good news. Thankfully, we don't have to. Jesus did everything necessary to please the Father that we might be saved. It's really a simple thing. Not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. And there's plenty of other places. In fact, Paul... In Colossians 1, says, So to walk worthy, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. He's talking about we've been redeemed so that we might walk worthy of the manner of the calling. Later in chapter 2 of Colossians, Therefore, as you have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Jesus in John 15 said, you are my friends if you do what I command you. And so pretty simply, James' point is faith in Christ is never fruitless. 
It's never non-reactionary. It may not be the same for everybody. You may not be as excitable as other people. But it does work itself out. I find it very sad that the church, the modern church, is so desperately trying to fit in and blend in with the world, be politically correct and not offend anybody. And I think that's exactly opposite of what James is telling his listeners. You better get ready. If you act like a Christian, you better expect persecution. You can't blend in. Somebody said it'd be like a polar bear trying to blend in amongst black kittens. You're not going to blend in. We're not going to look like the world. Our confession describes justification this way. Those God effectually calls, he also justifies. He does this not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and accounting and accepting them as righteous. And he does that for Christ's sake alone and not for anything producing them or done by them. He does not impute faith itself, the act of believing, or any other gospel obedience to them as their righteousness. See what the confession is doing very clearly. Nothing we do is counted for any righteousness. Isaiah had already said our righteousness is what? As filthy rags. That's the best we can come up with. But instead, God imputes Christ's active obedience to the whole law and his passive obedience in his death as their, our, the church, as their whole and only righteousness by faith. This faith is not self-generated. It is the gift of God. This is why I love confessionalism. It, it helps us understand this. And I'm pointing this out, of course, because justification was the main point of contention that brought about the Protestant Reformation. It, is the, it was the fuel that fueled the hearts and souls of the men who fought against the Roman Catholic Church and their doctrine on works-based salvation, works-based justification. And so I'm trying to point out that's what the Bible is teaching us, and James is not teaching us any different than that. But our confession goes on in that same chapter about justification to explain what I'm talking about than what James says. It says, Faith that receives and rests on Christ and his righteousness is the only instrument of justification. Yet, it does not occur by itself in the person justified. That's us. But justification is always accompanied by every other saving grace. It's not a dead faith, but works through love. That's how God has saved us. He saved us with a justification and a righteousness that is not ours. But with that righteousness that is Christ accounted on our behalf comes every other saving grace. Which means the ability according to God and the spirit within us to be obedient. To work our faith out. To do the things that God's called us to do. So it's important that we trust that our, we call this sanctification, the working out our salvation in our life, that we trust God for that. It's not that, okay, God's, God saved me and justified me. Now it's up to me to do the rest, the good part, the working out part. No, even that part we have to depend on him because we're not going to do it on our own. We can't. We're going to find something else to be concerned with. And we're going to keep slipping back into sin, our flesh, 
In fact, again, our confession helps us with this in the chapter on sanctification. It says this sanctification, this separation, this working out of our salvation extends throughout the whole person. Though it's never completed in this life, some corruption remains in every part of us. And from this arises a continual and irreconcilable war with the desires of the flesh against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. The book of Galatians is all about this war within you. Like Paul described in Romans 7, I want to do right, but what I find myself doing is wrong. And what I can't find myself to do is stop doing wrong and start doing right. But then he goes on, but who shall deliver me from this man of death, this corrupt nature? I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. He has delivered us, and he will deliver us. And our confession goes on and says, in this war, the remaining corruption may greatly prevail for a time. Any of you believers ever had the corruption within you prevail for a time? Yet through the continual supply of strength from the sanctifying spirit of Christ, the regenerate part overcomes. Hallelujah. So the saints grow in grace, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The other thing I love about our confession is it's so clear to point out all these things are going to happen and you don't have to muster it up within yourself. God does it. And glory he does because within me remains this corruption that wants to prevail, this war. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak over and over. And so I encourage you in this. That great truth that spurred and fueled the Reformation is still alive and well because it's the great truth that extends all the way back to the gospel and to the Bible and even all the way back to the Old Testament for Abraham and really for Adam. Grace. Grace that God gives faith to his people to believe. And not only does he give us faith to believe, he spurs us to the works that accompany the righteousness that he's called us to. So don't give up. Don't think that God is not real or true because your life doesn't look like you want it to or because the sin seems to be remaining or corrupting, corruption seems to be prevailing. Trust in Christ. If you don't trust in him, trust in him. Put more trust in him. Pray to God to give you more trust and faith in him. He has done everything necessary for your justification and for your salvation and sanctification to work that out in your life. And I'm glad he did. Amen. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. I do thank you for the fact that some 500 years ago you, you brought your people back to the truth of the scripture. You called some men to look at the Bible and see the truth of the gospel, the truth of sanctifying and justifying grace. God, I pray you'd help us to learn that daily and, and give us more faith in Christ. Lord, help us to believe you in the places in our life that need to be quenched, the sin that needs to be cut off. Remind us that you died for that, that you went to a cross, Jesus went to a cross that we might be forgiven. And not only forgiven and, and be promised heaven, but as Jesus said, we can even have abundant life now that includes more and more separation from sin and more and more sanctification unto life but we know that comes from you too so give it to us we we pray and as we celebrate the supper right now I, I ask that this will be a time for us to just continue 
to surrender to you and uh, trust in Christ and look to what he has done through his perfect obedience, through his willingness to go to the cross, the blood that was shed, the death that he died, the resurrection that we celebrate. We pray all this in his name.